Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. So this judgment is coming, it's sure. Last chapter we saw it ending with Abraham speaking to the Lord, and the Lord said to Abraham, hey, I will not punish the righteous with the judge, or with, with the wicked. I will not bring judgment upon the righteous. He said, even if there are ten righteous in the city, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. The Lord knew there wasn't ten. The Lord knew that judgment was certain for Sodom and Gomorrah. So what was essential now? The next step was a rescue mission. Before, before God would judge Sodom and Gomorrah, he would not violate his character and his standard that he would not judge the righteous with the wicked. Therefore, he sent these angels first to rescue Lot, the righteous man, from Sodom and Gomorrah before judgment came. And I want to say that this is a precedence that God has established in his character, that God will not judge the righteous with the wicked. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because God has, there's a point in time where God will draw a hard line and bring judgment upon the earth in similar fashion. And God has said he will not judge the righteous with the wicked. And so another rescue mission will happen before this judgment period called the tribulation occurs. And that rescue mission is called the rapture. And it is when God takes the church, the righteous bride of Christ, out of the earth before pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. I wouldn't go so far, we got to be careful, because I wouldn't go so far as to say Lot is a picture of the church. I think that's stretching it. I think that analogy breaks down on several levels. In fact, Lot Lot becomes more of a picture of the Jews who are supernaturally protected during the tribulation period. But I would say that this text, setting this precedence that God removes the righteous out of the way before the judgment comes, and if Lot, being a horrible example of righteousness, is removed, how much more will the bride of Christ be saved from the wrath to come? A lot of people debate about this. They're they're unsure. I want to tell you, nowhere in the New Testament is the church specifically told to look for the judgment or to look for the Antichrist, for that matter. The Antichrist is to be revealed during the tribulation period, the very beginning of it. Nowhere is the church said, look for the judgment. What did Jesus say? He said, pray that you will escape the wrath that is to come. Jesus said, when you see things starting to get kind of crazy, Matthew 24, he said, look for the judgment. No, he didn't say that. He said, look for the Antichrist so you'll know you're in the tribulation. He didn't say that. He said, look up because your redemption draws near. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians, he said that we, we wait, the church waits. What are we waiting for? What are we looking for? He said, we're waiting for the appearing of Jesus Christ who delivers us from the wrath to come, from the coming wrath. 
1 Thessalonians 5, that we have not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. You see, the church is not appointed to the wrath coming from God because our wrath was already experienced on the cross of Jesus Christ. So therefore, the rapture is the rescue mission for God to remove the righteous before the judgment is poured out upon the earth. Verse 18, And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest, this, lest the disaster overtake me, and I die. So what's interesting about Lot is he's, he still thinks he knows better than God does. Lot, we're sent here from heaven. We just supernaturally protected you. We just supernaturally struck these, these horrible people with blindness, and they're getting ready to die from God, uh, receive judgment from God. You, what you need to do, at this point I would be all ears. Whatever you tell me to do, angels, I will do. But go to the mountains. And he's like, oh no, I can't go to the mountains. I did, well I skipped out on my my Boy Scout class. I never learned to start a fire with sticks. What if I die in the mountains? And they're like, staring at, I picture them just looking at Lot like, is this guy for real? Is Is he questioning us? And look, at, look how they respond. It's funny. Behold, he says, Behold, this city is near enough to flee to. Let me go to another city, because that's what I'm used to, guys. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? He said to him, the angel, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. I think this is amazing, guys. Even in the time of certain judgment, God is willing to forbear and extend mercy. I mean, it's so... As, as, you, as we'll read, he doesn't even end up going to Zor or staying in Zor. But God spares this little town that was actually deserving of, of judgment at this point in time. He spares it so that Lot could go hide out there. I just the, God's mercy is so amazing. There's people who hate God, and they'll, they'll read passages like this. They'll read God's judgment about the Canaanites destroying a society, and they'll say, how can he be such a monster to ruthlessly destroy these people? But guys, if you realize how horrible your sin is and how horrible my sin is, and how holy God is, how just God is, it, it actually changes the question to how come God lets anyone live? How come any of us get another chance to breathe, another day to get up. Come on, I, I, know, I know me. I know you've thought some thoughts today that you would not want, you wouldn't be thinking if your thoughts were on that projector screen and Jesus was standing there. You know what I mean? Like, I know you, and you know me. We're sinners. The question is, how come God hasn't judged everybody? Because He's merciful, because He's slow to anger, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And this has been centuries and centuries of sin that is built up for Sodom and Gomorrah, as it was for the Canaanites, the Amorites. God is patient. God is merciful. Yes, Lot, you think you know better. You're still trying to compromise a little bit, but go, just go for it. It's like God looks for opportunities to show mercy. It's like he's, he's holding back as long as he can before he has to drop that gavel and judge but he looks for opportunities to forgive. Our pastor here, Pastor Robert, he likes to say that God is in the posture of forgiveness. He's like standing there waiting for you to ask for forgiveness. 
He's in the posture of mercy. Verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Or fire and brimstone, right? Verse 25. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. That adds a whole new meaning to your salt of the earth. You don't want to be this salt of the earth, right? Now, it could be that what happened here and how a lot of people interpret this is that she was running away with, with Lot, but then she glanced back. In fact, I think I've seen it in a, in a show or something recently too. And, and God turns her into a pillar of salt, like supernaturally. Hey, that could, that could be what happened. But the text also, if you look at that she looked back, that term can also mean she lagged behind. It could even mean she returned back. How did Jesus interpret this? Jesus actually uses this text, quotes it, and alludes to Lot's wife when he said that he's speaking to the Jews who are living in and around Judea. He's prophesying about the end times and the tribulation period. And he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, flee Get out of there. It's like Lot running away from Sodom and Gomorrah. And you who are in the fields, he says, do not return back. So in other words, if you're in the fields and you know it's time to go, run that way, but you want to run back into town. He said, do not run back into town. Get out of there. and, And then he followed it by saying, remember Lot's wife. So it would seem that Jesus interpreted this as not just a glimpse back, but that she was literally either going back or she was lagging behind, not wanting to leave at all. And I think this is an important nuance because people can say, hey, you know, don't don't even think about your old life because that means you might not even be saved. Like you're, you're running for Jesus. You want to be saved. You're running from judgment. But man, you have those thoughts sometimes like, yeah, I remember having a beer with the guys. That was kind of fun. And bam, you're going to be a pillar of salt. <laughs> like, oh, I, I, I want to be saved. I want heaven. But man, that was so fun. Those concerts I used to go. And God's going to like destroy you. That's, I don't believe that is, is, is what this is depicting here. In fact, I believe that she didn't want to leave to begin with. What's interesting about the, the thing about the, the pillar of salt as well is if she were to have lagged behind and got caught in the firestorm, um, what happens when volcanoes have erupted, for instance, upon cities, is it, it casts, uh, it builds this cast of ash um, and even layers of salt, believe it or not, over the bodies. You can look up Pompeii, for instance. Look up the people of Pompeii, and you can see, you'll see like a dead dog that they made a cast out of, and kids and people, and like the whole, their whole city was uh, taken a, a snapshot of when that volcano hit and coated everybody. And so some scholars believe that's actually what happened to Lot's wife, that she lagged behind, she got caught in the firestorm. It's not like God accidentally hit her, like, oh, sorry, she got, you, did, you weren't supposed to run there. God knew what he was doing when, when he included Lot's wife in the judgment. And so some scholars believe that she was casted by the ash and sulfur and, a, and even a layer of salt that, that has been known to happen with volcanoes. 
and I think what, what this text would say, if we, if we look at it nuanced this way, is that God knows who's truly saved and who's not. Like, there are, God knows who's playing games and who's not. God knows who's just drugged to church and who's really there because they want to know him. As much as Lot wanted his, li- his wife's life to be spared, she, at this point, had become a, a citizen of Sodom and Gomorrah, and she wasn't, she wasn't prepared to change that. In fact, very likely, she wasn't wanting to change that. That Lot would have had to drag her out of there. And I think it also shows us that as much as we want our relatives to be saved, our children to be saved, our spouses to be saved, they have to choose for themselves. We all have to make a decision to repent from the Sodom and Gomorrahs in our life and run after Jesus and run after salvation. See, the real takeaway from Lot's wife is that we need to value salvation above anything and everything this world has to offer. Do you? God's grace, God's salvation to you is like, is like the golden ticket. All right? Like the trip to Willy Wonka's factory. Golden ticket. You have been given this ticket that you are, you are promised one day to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And this world is full of salespeople out there, full of people who will invite you and promise you all kinds of amazing things to get you to trade your golden ticket, the gospel of Jesus Christ, your salvation for something they have to offer. And Lot's wife did. And I want to tell you, never, ever, ever let anyone trade your salvation for something else that's out there. There's nothing else out there that could possibly be more valuable. May nothing become more important to us than our salvation and the salvation of those around us, guys. Verse 27. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Could you imagine how Abraham was feeling that morning? He's up stretching with his coffee. And the smoke is rising up. And all of a sudden, like, I would be freaking out. He prayed, hoping that there were ten righteous, that God would spare the city. And yet here it is in going up in smoke. And he must be wondering, is Lot okay? Was Lot even included in that? I mean, what a, what a horrible morning for, for Abraham. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So 29, we learn, verse 29 here, that Lot was spared for Abraham's sake. That because of Abraham's love, perhaps even the influence that gave Lot just enough faith to be considered righteous, but it was for Abraham's sake Lot was spared. And uh, the Lord just spoke to me, who would be spared for my sake? Who in the world right now can you think of that you know living in the world, but they're tethered by your love? They're tethered to Christ because of the love of Christ they saw in you. Does anyone out in the world right now have just a little taste of faith because of your influence? Abraham did. For the sake of Abraham, God says he remembered Abraham and he spared Lot. Verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. 
So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And um, verse 31, And the firstborn said to the younger, this is where it gets a little weird, just to forewarn you, um, our, younger, our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. So I don't know if they're assuming the whole world is destroyed. You have to ask, why didn't they just go back to Abraham? I don't know. There's a lot of questions here. But nevertheless, they're living in the cave like the crudes. And it's just these two daughters and their dad. And they're like, there's no more men alive. So I have an idea. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father so it's been noted that it's not a sexual thing what these girls are doing. It's, it's for the sake of having a family. It's for the sake of preserving their lineage, which can be respectable, maybe, if you put it that way. So they made their father drink wine that night. I wonder how hard they had to work to, to make him drink wine. I don't think it's a coincidence that what follows here was preceded by intoxication. You just go a few chapters back and look to Noah. Similar thing. No coincidence that Noah's problems weren't that he just liked to get naked and lay around his tent. It was like he, it was because he got drunk and ended up getting naked, laying around in his tent, and whatever took place there, right? We don't really know for sure. And here we see them getting um, lot drunk. Hey, Dad, brought some wine. I know we barely made it out of the city, but we managed to bring our wineskins. <laughs> Fortunate, very fortuitous for you, Father. So drink up. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he didn't know when she lay down or when she arose. So, I mean, he was just completely just three sheets to the wind, as my uncle would say. Uh, the next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Now, incest was not quite as much of a no-no as it is today. Um, they, for instance, Abraham was married to his half-sister. Um, this wasn't, this was a lot closer to the original line where the genetics were not as perverted. And as things got worse and worse, God ended up writing a law like, you are not to have any form of incest as my people. That it would be a, a, an abomination, a violation so this is pre-law, and this is also a time when this would be, I don't know that father-daughter would have been acceptable, but incest was a part of society back then. So before we think these, these girls are just like, just off their rocker, kind of give them some understanding, they're trying to preserve Lot's line. And this is the last of, that we hear of Lot, drunkenness and incest, what a legacy, right? We, we can assume that he grew to be a father to these, these two young men who grew up to be mighty nations. However, these nations grew up to be enemies of, of the people of Israel as well. 
So it's, it's hard to tell. You see God's mercy extended to Lot, but you don't really see a whole lot of good come from it. And only God knows. Only God can be the judge of these things. I think of Hezekiah. God spared King Hezekiah for 15 more years. And in that 15 years, Hezekiah had a son uh, named Manasseh. And he was like one of the worst kings ever. Very wicked. And you wonder, well, it might have been better if I was God to take Hezekiah before Manasseh was born. Maybe it would have been better just to accidentally include Lot in there and not have this horrible thing happen with these people groups who were enemies of Israel. But this is where Lot's story ends. And sadly, guys, I think this is the story of a lot of households in America. Maybe not drunken incest, I hope not. But definitely, definitely the fact that so many households out there have fathers in them who have compromised their moral integrity, who have compromised their moral authority. I talk to parents in church who, who talk about their wayward children, and they tell me, basically, their whole time raising their kids, they had absolutely no godliness exhibited in their lives. And right now, households out there, full, uh, many households out there have fathers in them who preach at their kids, and their kids don't listen because they have no moral authority because they've compromised like Lot did. Lot here's to the point where the daughters are running the show. All they have to do to get their way is get them drunk. Right? The, the girls are running the show here. And these parents are like, why won't my kids listen to me? Why, why, don't, why aren't my kids going to church anymore? Is it because they've, they've squandered their spiritual authority and they've, they've wasted their spiritual potential? And it scares me as a parent. My kids are little. I have a certain window of opportunity to really influence them when they're moldable because once they become adults, and they hit a certain age, they start thinking for themselves, they're only so impressionable at that point in time. So we have to really make our lives count, and Lot, Lot squandered this. Now, what is surprising as I wrap this up, guys, is 2 Peter does tell us that Lot is a righteous man. And I would not have said that or guessed it had it not be, be written in the New Testament. 2 Peter, that he was a righteous man whose soul was vexed because of the ungodliness that surrounded him. Lot becomes to us a picture of what we call carnal Christians. A Christian who has enough faith to be saved, but other people don't know it because they, there's little evidence of it on the outside. And, and we wouldn't know it. You go up to somebody who's not walking with the Lord, they say they're Christians. They have no biblical security. Like if you're a carnal Christian, I cannot assure you of your salvation. God sees the heart. He knows. God knows it's just a mustard seed of faith. But I want to tell you that Lot is not the example of someone who does whatever he wants and gets saved in the end like he won. Like he got off scot-free. You do not want to be like Lot. In fact, many people who take that route, majority of them aren't even saved to begin with, I would imagine. What Lot becomes to us is an example of someone, as it talks about in 1 Corinthians, who will stand one day before the Bema Seat of Christ and have all their actions tested by the fire of Christ, the refining fire, and have everything burn up, wood, hay, and stubble, have nothing of eternal value to last. And that text says that they will suffer loss, yet they will still be saved as through fire. So these people stand there, and they had faith in Christ, but they wasted everything. And there's no precious gems to show for their life of faith. 
Saved as through fire. They get into heaven. They're like still smoking. They're like putting the smoke out. That's Lot. He, he gets into heaven squeaking in. And that is not the kind of entrance you want. You want a grand entrance into heaven, an abundant entrance into heaven. You want to make your investments in heaven. You want, when the beam of seed of Christ happens and that fire comes and tests your works, you want it to be found to glory and praise and honor of Jesus Christ. All these precious gems and stones, things that you did thoughtlessly, selflessly for Christ. And Lot had none of these things. And it's a, it is a loss that we would suffer. I will say, though, that it's an amazing example of God's grace. And I think this is where I want to close it, guys. It truly takes, just as I said, just a mustard seed of faith. God's grace is sufficient. And those who preach works for salvation, they have a hard time with guys like Lot. They have a hard time with guys like Samson, who's in the hall of faith, but the guy was like the exact opposite of godliness. And yet, God saw this mustard seed of faith in these men that it was enough to save them. Salvation by grace through faith is the only hope for Lot. That's the only hope that he had. And what's so amazing is that a few hundred years later, guys, about Lot's story, as the Moabites grew and became this nation and even an enemy of Israel, God would call a woman out of the Moabite family to marry back into Abraham's family. Her name was Ruth. She married a man named Solomon. And she was the great-grandma of a king named David. And Ruth was in the line of Jesus. She's even mentioned in the genealogy. And so, guys, as we realize Lot made a mess of his life, that it's not something to emulate, let's end with the hope that if we have made mistakes, guys, God can take them and turn them into something usable and something beautiful and something that he can weave back into his story of grace. So if you're sitting here now and you're like, I've been Lot, I've squandered, there's still a hope for you. There's still a chance to invest in the kingdom of God for you. And that is exciting. And that is the grace of Jesus Christ that he, that he extends to every one of us. Let's all stand. Let's pray. And Lord, it is a sobering chapter. Anytime, we, Lord, we see you have to draw that hard line. And Lord, we praise you and thank you that you showed forbearance toward our sins, though you had every right to draw a hard line and punish us for our sins. You've chosen, Lord, to be patient. Lord, that you are patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Lord, you didn't desire Sodom to perish. You desired greater that they would come to repentance. And so right now, Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity that are for the people who are hearing this who have been wayward, the people who have aligned themselves as objects of wrath, that you're patient for them. Lord, that you, you don't want them to perish but you want them to be drawn to repentance. And so I pray that in this moment now, they would have the wisdom to put their faith and trust in you, that they would repent, that they, like Lot, would flee Sodom, that they would run from their sins, realizing the destruction that awaits them in a life of sin, and that they would flee to the place of safety in Jesus Christ, that they would flee to the cross, flee to the refuge that we have in you, Jesus and be safe in you, and be accepted in you, and be beloved in you. I pray that they would, they would do that even right now as I, as I pray this prayer. And we thank you for the hope that we have of heaven. We thank you that you, 
use us to do eternal work and we want our lives to count God. So we pray this moment that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that you would guide us and direct us and anoint us for what you have before us, that our lives will count. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.